watch movies, so like it's hard to kind of let yourself go when you're with other people because then you have to worry about other people like judging your reactions. But I guess it's kind of the other way around too. If you don't uh, cry during something that you're supposed to feel intense emotion for. That's like when I first saw Waitress on Broadway. Um, shout out Cat Kelly. I was like, I was, gonna say. <laughs> I, w I was with people that were I was not close with, and like, I was crying so much that I went to the bathroom so I could like cry alone because I felt weird like sobbing in front of the, and I was really like. It just, like, brought all these emotions out in me, so I was crying so hard, and I had to be alone. <laughs> it was just it was just awkward to cry that, because people were like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, here we are, guys. It's Movie Cinema Film. I'm here with Leah Russo. Yes, that's me, Leah, and I'm here with Jordan Freed. What an honor. Hello. Um, we took a little break for a while. Yeah. Uh, once we're busy. The, yeah, we got a little busy. Also, like, once the COVID cases were kind of going up in America, I feel like everybody kind of gets crazy, and they're like, oh, like, yeah. I kind of have to limit all of my things that I do. We don't live in the same house. Yeah. But, I mean, we could record remotely, but also, like, I feel like the vibe, like, for my other podcast, too, we could record remotely, but I just feel like there's something about getting together and, like, especially now that everything is so crazy, it's just nice. And technically, this gathering is allowed. It's only two people. Yeah, um, you're definitely in my bubble. Yeah. This is a job also, and since the government is not giving us money we to need stay home, we are doing a job right now. Yeah, mm -hmm. so we're here today to talk about Netflix's uh, Oscar bait of the year, Mank. Yes, Direct David Fincher. Yeah. Um, Have we gotten in-depth into Fincher on this podcast? Like, what are your general thoughts? Where does he rank in your director list, I guess? Uh, I think in general, anything that David Fincher makes, I am willing to watch and give a shot. Um, I haven't seen everything that he's done, but... Um, I have. What do you, What haven't you seen? I'm trying to think. Uh, did he do Gone Girl? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see that one. Oh, that's definitely worth watching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in general, like Fight Club is one of my favorite movies of all time. I think, and I just think the way he did that film is just, it's such a classic. Mm -hmm. um, there's no other film like it. And then I think he has other films also that I enjoy, but they didn't hit me as hard as, like, Fight Club did as, like, a complete film. Right. It's hard to say which one would be my favorite. I really love all of them. On Well, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo is probably, like, my... I also haven't seen that. Yeah, that... So many people love it, and so many people I know have seen it so many times, and they just, like, relish it every time. I saw it once in the theater. It was definitely good, but I just haven't been compelled to watch it again. I, even like, the game, I feel like a lot of people think the game is just... I also have not seen the game. I'm not going to say a word about the plot, because it's, you have to just watch it. It's, did you know, do you know if Brendan watched it yet? I'm not sure if Brendan has watched it. Brendan and I talked about this... It was definitely before the pandemic, and I was like, okay, I'm keeping my mouth shut, and he's like, I'm so excited to watch it, so if you if he hasn't watched it, you guys should sit down together, watch it, and then give me your thoughts. <laughs> it really is, like, I love it. Some people say it's too Hollywoody, it's too cheesy. I don't agree. I love it, but I won't say anything about the plot. Just watch it. Don't read anything. Just watch it, but um, Seven is 
Seven is the only other one. Like, I've seen, I love Social Network. I've seen that multiple times. I've seen Gone Girl, like, three times. Um, and then my favorite piece is probably Zodiac. Social Network is great, yeah. but I feel like it now everybody just says that it's the greatest film of all time. So I almost feel like it doesn't <laughs> live up to that hype. <laughs> it's almost, like, cheesy now to say that that's your favorite Fincher movie or even your favorite movie. But, I mean, I love it. It's probably... I think I go between that and Zodiac. Like, right now I'm having a Zodiac moment. But then again, that movie, too, is not perfect. I think Social Network is probably a better movie overall, but I like those mysteries, you know? Do you think that both of those films drove the uh, excitement around Facebook and serial killers? Or do you think it's vice versa? <laughs> do you think he just picks, picks good topics that people are going to be into and he's on the pulse of, like, what is relevant and, like, what people want to hear? That's a good point. I really don't know. I think that, I mean, it definitely ignited more interest in the Zodiac killer, obviously. Yeah. But I think that movie, too, is about the cast for me. I love that cast so good. I mean, Robert Tidey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, it's just, I think it could have been a little stronger in the with the whole mystery and the, the pacing and stuff. I know it's really long, blah, blah, blah. But I just, I like movies like that. I like movies where you sit down, you're there for a long time. It's this, like, moody, you know, thrilling, at times slow-moving, at times thrilling, kind of, uh, like, almost like an exercise in what a murder mystery movie should be. And I, I love, I think the ending's great. Uh, and then the, the other movie of his that I've only seen one time is Seven. Because I, like, look, I'll watch any horror movie. I've seen everything. I've seen, like, the most disgusting things you can imagine. And I just go right to sleep. No problem. Seven, to me, is, like, the most psychologically disturbing movie that I've ever seen. And so I've only seen it one time. And I will never forget it. And I don't know if I ever want to see it again. I'm probably building it up in my head. Because now it's been all these years. And it's probably not as bad as I think. Or maybe it is. I don't know. But it's an absolutely great film worth watching just not for the faint of heart definitely and, don't uh, watch it on basic cable no no because no, like no. the commercials just ruin it i think i watched it on basic cable and like i just remember getting to the final scene or like the scene i should say i don't think it's the final scene yeah. Is it the final scene it's no. one of the, yeah it's one of the last scenes but like i got to that scene and i was just like this isn't hitting me that hard. I think it's that there was a commercial two minutes ago. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> it takes you out of it sometimes to see, like, have you eaten your fruity pebbles today? <laughs> you know what's funny is, I mean, especially with a movie like Seven, that's true, but actually last night I watched Christmas Vacation, which I've seen a million times, and I don't have cable, but on the AMC app, if you sign in, like I signed in with my parents' cable, and then they have the edited version. It's not even the real movie, so they have the bleeps, or not the bleeps, but they just have no sound when someone curses, and then they have the commercials. And even with a movie like that, that's very lighthearted and whatever, I still was like, wait, I didn't hear that part. Or, wait, what happened? I missed out. Like, I missed out on jokes because some of the jokes have curses in them, and, like, it, it kind of sucked. I was like, this, I need to just get the DVD, I guess. Yeah. Um, Netflix DVDs. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, so today, uh, in honor of... David Fincher not wanting to use color in his films. Um, we are going to uh, talk about our favorite uh, black and white films, perhaps. Yes. Because Mank was a black and white film in honor of Citizen Kane being a black and white film. 
through that. You've seen Citizen Kane, right? I have. I just found out my girlfriend has not seen Citizen Kane, and I don't know how to feel about it. That's funny because she's like <laughs> she's into old Hollywood and stuff, you know. More yeah. than more than most people our age, I would say. It is funny though, because like there is definitely an aspect of Citizen Kane that like you could just be like, yeah, that's overrated, and like have that opinion and have had that opinion for like fifty years because it's that old now. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I don't think it's overrated. Like, I love it. I think it's so good. I think that's, like, we could talk about that with, like, the David Fincher movies, like I was saying before, uh, but, like, the true test of a story is, like, is this still happening in society today? Like, can we still watch this movie and understand this type of person? And, like, there is still that media mogul. Like, Trump is that media mogul. Like, he had the National Enquirer, right? Or one of those, uh, like trashy magazines that like doesn't base stuff off of fact which one is it i think he's tied to one of the big ones in new york or like the new york post or something like that um well i don't even think that i don't even think that uh kane is is anywhere near as bad as trump to be honest well yeah (laughs) but that is just like the archetype is like trump is the citizen kane type person to a t like he's just Mm-hmm. only cares about himself and then <laughs> even in his death everybody's trying to figure out about him and like find out the story about him i love the in kane like my favorite thing is the relationship between him and his second wife susan and how she which by the way that is the character that apparently marion davies was inspired Mm. just the way like when they meet and they're playing like the shadow puppets on the wall it's so cute it's like his it's like one of his only moments of you know i mean besides everything that you hear about it like yes the deep focus is unreal like the rosebud thing is perfect ending and you know the the shot in the snow globe like all of that of course like that is iconic but to me that relationship is the emotional heart of the movie which like a lot of these movies don't have the emotional heart that like you really need for me to tie everything together and like I just love how they meet, and then, you know, he wants to build her up, and he wants to, like, her to succeed, but then he's also jealous, and he ruins that relationship, just like he ruins everything else, because he, you know, was torn from his parents at a young age, and he has no soul and <laughs> from that. Ah, uh, yes, Freud. <laughs> it's, it's just so, I really do love, I mean, even if you just, you know, we'll talk more about Wells and everything with this movie and um, his part in it, but, I mean, even if you take out uh, the writing, like, you know, he, his performance, you know, yes, he produced it and directed it and, um, had a part in writing it and, uh, but the acting, like, and the makeup too, like, I see movies today, 2020, with old age makeup and I'm like, are they kidding? That looks so horrible. Like, like, how do they not have the, not technology, but how do they not, how do they not know how to do this better? Because in Citizen Kane, his his aging like some of it is subtle because you're just going a few years ahead and then some of it is less subtle but it's still it doesn't look like those fake like heavy prosthetics that they didn't blend properly i often wonder how even good directors i'm like how did you let this person go on camera like you should have told the makeup person i'm sorry like i don't care if we're here all day you have to start over it looks terrible but i mean that paired with the emotion that he's able to portray at each age is just i mean honestly like it's still blows me away and takes my breath away so the life cycle of an asshole <laughs> <laughs> oh jordan <laughs> the I rise and fall. <laughs> um yeah yeah 
So, how many uh, black and white films do you have on the agenda? Honestly, I just picked one because it's it's just such a wide, like, it's such a broad, usually our topics are a little bit, you know, because it's like, okay, you can pick basically any movie made before, like, 1960, (laughs) So, and then you can also pick something like Clerks, or you can pick, you know, Roma, which we already talked about, or, you know, The Artist or something like that. I forgot about Clerks, that is very, just, yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget Black and White. That's what made it an art house film. Was that he wanted to use fluorescent lights and not have to light the scene, (laughs) so he made it Black and White. (laughs) Black and White. (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny how much easier that movie would have been to make now. Like, just... Not even it's not, oh it wasn't even God. that long yeah. ago in the in the grand scheme of things and how many how much things have changed I mean even maybe not ten years because Clerks is ninety four so ten years would be two thousand and four but like a little bit after that you know you could just so easily pick up a phone and and shoot you know it's just it's unbelievable to think about um, oh actually I do have I have one movie that's like my main movie and then I have a backup movie so do you want to go. Do you have one or two? I can do two. Cool. Yeah, two works. Um, for my honorable mention, I am going to go with, uh, just because we've talked about this director ad nauseum uh, already, uh, I'm just going to go with Raging Bull, because that's one of my favorite uh, films of all time. And what else are you guys doing? We're about to go into COVID winter, so stay home and watch Raging Bull um, and enjoy. I think, like, my favorite thing to do now in life, like, I've definitely changed, is I love watching movies that are in, like, just different places. Mm-hmm. Like, I definitely just need to switch up where I am, like, in the movie. You know, like, I'll watch an L.A. movie, then I gotta go somewhere else, then I gotta go somewhere else. Yeah. And just kind of keep moving around and mm-hmm. just, like, take myself somewhere else. So, like, I think, like, watching Raging Bull definitely takes you to a very interesting place. And also... um, I'm kind of around a boxer now because I am producing another podcast, Young Black Suburban, with uh, a guy who is like a former boxer, Tim Witherspoon Jr., and his dad was like a heavyweight champ, but like, it just makes me think back to boxing movies, and just some of my favorite boxing movies, Mm -hmm. just like being in a boxing gym, and I think Raging Bull is one of the classic boxing films. It definitely doesn't have the best, like, boxing scenes, but it has some of the most, like, cinematic boxing scenes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a masterpiece. It's just... I mean, it's not even worth it for me to talk about Martin Scorsese because I just feel like it's meaningless at this point because I just am, like, so obsessed with everything involving him and all of his movies. But, yeah, I mean, it's... Like, what, what else can you say about it? I remember on my most recent rewatch of it, which was maybe, like, one or two years ago... I had been watching a lot of movies that weren't good, and it just, I wasn't doing it on purpose, it just was like, I was watching a lot of newer movies that just were mediocre or whatever, Mm -hmm. and I had been doing it so much that, like, when I turned on Raging Bull, I remember looking at it, like, just looking at it, and, and, like, marveling at it, and being like, oh, like, this is how you're supposed to do this thing that every, so many people do, and they don't do it right, and yet they still have success, and they still get their movie made, and they still make millions of dollars, but... They're not doing it right. This is how you do... This is how you make a movie, you know? Yeah, I think there is something to be said, especially, like, in the times before cell phones. 
Like, the organization that went into these films and just the large-scale qualities of these films, like, filling up uh, Madison Square Garden-type areas, like, mm-hmm. filling up entire clubs, like, filling up here, like, making sure that you have this and that. Like, now people literally just have their iPhones and they go to a place and they'll, like, improvise, and that's a movie. Uh, but, like, it takes so much to do <laughs> yeah. what... Martin Scorsese was doing what a lot of the greats were doing with, like, this grand scope. Like, Francis Ford Coppola also had a lot that were just massive scale. Mm-hmm. And just grand stuff. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. You can't go wrong with Jake LaMotta. No. And, like, Robert De Niro. So like, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially, like, during these times that we have finally gotten Donald Trump out of office. Now it's time to Thank watch God. some Robert De Niro movies. That yeah. guy said fuck you to Donald Trump a lot. I love him. <laughs> he is so good in interviews. He's just like, Get his I streams up. don't care. <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing is, because it's funny, because he'll, he'll be very direct in interviews once people ask about him. But do you remember the Tony Awards? Yeah. <laughs> he just got on stage and apropos of nothing. This is like, fuck Trump. I mean, he's a man after my own heart, really. Yeah, I like, you could say that a lot of this is also like, like, the, the way that the coronavirus has been handled is, like, destroying the arts in America also, which is, like, a very scary thing to think about. So it is good that we are moving towards an administration that's going to figure out a way to get through this mm-hmm. and actually be more hopefully. active, hopefully. Because, <laughs> like, that's the big thing. I think everybody just wants more active solutions of how to change it. I don't think anybody actually... Well, there are countries who do know how to change it, but... Yeah, it's we're not so, one of those. <laughs> no, we're not. It's it's crazy how other countries have handled it. I mean, I work with Make a Wish Australia doing princess zooms, and uh, in Melbourne, for several months, you were only allowed out of the house for one hour, and that was for everything for exercise, grocery shopping. Had to fit it into that hour, and you know, children basically didn't leave the house ever. Obviously, their parents would just like run out and do things, um, especially because a lot of the children that I are working with were ill, so they really, like, talking to me was like, oh my god, a person. <laughs> um, and now, they're back to normal. Their lives are fine. In all of Australia, there's, like, four cases one day. Music seven festivals cases are going the on. Next day. Yeah, it's like, they, they did it, and I know that people will argue and say, well, they don't have as many people, they don't have this, they don't have that, we've tested more people than any other country, blah, blah, blah. I get it. Like, I'm not saying America's the worst place ever and we're all so screwed. I'm just saying, like, it could have been better, and it could have been done better, and the bar is so low now that, like, every time Joe Biden acknowledges that the coronavirus exists, I'm like, oh my god, this Stand guy, home, love you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wow, come on, Harris, <laughs> you know, Kamala's saying, like, oh, yeah, wear a mask. I'm like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just like, oh, God. But, so my runner-up is the film, I want to say it was 2012, maybe it was 2013, Nebraska. Oh, my gosh, that's going to be my number one film, so that's perfect, yeah. Do you want to talk about it, or? Well, no, you can talk about it. We can talk about it together, but I'll let you lead in. I, I mean, I love Alexander Payne's movies a lot. There's really only one I don't like, which is Downsizing. I just don't know what happened. And then Citizen Ruth is kind of like, I like it, but it's not as good as the other ones. But um, Nebraska is probably my favorite aside from Election because it 
first of all, it's beautiful just to look at, but you know, it's just this simple story about small town people. It's just regular everyday life, but there's, you know, this little catch, which is that this, you know, old man who knows how much long he has left. He's like <laughs> losing it a little. And he thinks that, you know, if he goes to Lincoln, that being said, Bruce Stern has been playing that role for like 15 years. <laughs> and now. he's still kicking. <laughs> he's great. He, he's probably still sharp as a tack because he does all of this so well. I mean, his performance is just so outstanding. And, uh, you know, he, he thinks that if he goes to Lincoln, he'll collect a million dollars. And, you know, throughout the movie, you don't really know. It's like, does he does he know that it's not going to happen, but he just wanted to do something in his life, you know? Or does he is he really just, you know, kind of losing it? And the casting is just so good. Like, Will Forte and, and Bob Odenkirk and uh, June Squibb. It just, they really feel like a real family. And they're just so, like, it's just, he captures this... He captures this everyday stuff so well. Like, he does the same thing in The Descendants, which actually, like, that also is... Not very everyday, though. Well, the circumstances <laughs> aren't everyday, but I mean, I mean, everyday in terms of, like, they're just this normal family in Hawaii, whereas, like, usually a Hawaii movie is, like, you know, paradise. Like, they don't, they're not on the beach the whole time, all that kind of stuff. It's just, like, they're, they're like a normal family in Hawaii. They're just dealing with this one, you know, tragedy. But I love road movies, and this is a great one, and... You know the uh, my I think my favorite scene is when they they all go to that house, um, like when I like I love Bob Odenkirk so he's the brother right? Um, yes, yeah. he is very minor in the film, but but still, you definitely crave more. But still makes a difference. Uh, yeah, this is his other. I mean, I guess he has a few road movies. There's also about Schmidt, which I love mm. so much. But I guess it's it's hard to, it's hard for me to actually pick a favorite. I really shouldn't have even tried that. But it's disgusting. I can't believe you would do that I to know. Alexander Payne. I know. Um, also, I I think this is another example of like the turning point of the internet, mm -hmm. and kind of how there's like a generation of people who is very susceptible to scams because they're from a different world where mm -hmm. like a salesman comes to your door or you get a mailer and it's legit because like people were afraid of postal fraud or something, you right. know, and they couldn't just send it out computerized. But now it's just, like, everything gets sent to you so easily, mm -hmm. and people like us, like, when we grew up, we're just like, oh, everything's a scam. I just assume everything's a scam. Right. Until, like, I've actually seen, like, the, the little lock symbol in my browser to show that it's, like, a secure site. <laughs> yeah. I think movies like this really just appeal to me because... It's just, I mean, I don't want to give away the ending, but, like, all this man wants is, like, something special to happen in his life, you know? Like, he wants something notable, something that he can feel, like, his life kind of led up to, I guess. And, you know, his son is basically just going along with it to spend time with his dad because he doesn't know how much longer he has, you know? And it's just... I feel like I, you know, we were just talking about how we have, like, extraordinary lives because we're always, like, pursuing show business and crazy things happen to us. Um, I won't elaborate, but I'll just say I was on fire today, and I don't mean the term, you know, I don't mean, oh, I was on fire, like, I was, you know, doing great today. I mean, I was literally on fire, and I'll leave it at that. I didn't get hurt. Um, but could have. 
uh, it was on fire. So, you know, we have these like, we have these crazy pursuits and we're, we never know what's going to happen next because sometimes it's like nothing's going on and then all of a sudden we get a good audition or a good part or like we have a good idea or something happens and then it's like full speed ahead and like New York City and excitement and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then you watch a movie like this and it's so quiet and calm and, you know, it's just, it's Nebraska, you know, and these are just normal people with normal jobs that aren't trying to do anything extraordinary. They're not trying to like get on Broadway. They're just living and... It's, like, so fascinating to just watch a totally different existence from your own in a totally different place that you've never been that, you know... I mean, even if I had been there, I don't know what it's like to live there, so... They just do such a good job with this, and I love... I think the script is basically perfect, and uh, the dialogue is amazing, but then the moments where there's no dialogue are even better. I mean, just the faces Bruce Dern makes, like, every time someone... Like, anytime someone says anything, like, literally almost every single time they cut to him, I just, like... My heart is so alive in those moments. Yeah, it's just very cute. And there's not a lot of, like, old people movies either. Mm -hmm. So I think that also adds to it. Because there's not a lot of old people movies, and then there's not a lot of good old people movies. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's just beautiful how it's shot and where it takes you mm -hmm. um, through small-town America. So I will get into my first choice. I actually watched this for the first time this year in quarantine and was thrilled by it. It's called Brief Encounter. It's from 1945. Whoa. It is directed by David Lean, story by Noel Coward. And it is, um, let me make sure that I remember this woman's name properly. I think her name is Celia. Celia, oh, well, yeah, Celia uh, Johnson is her real name, and um, Trevor Howard, and so they play, they play these people that meet, they have a brief encounter, and they both are married, but they meet, and it's just this connection that cannot be avoided or turned away from. And the whole thing is, like, every week she goes to this one place um, in the middle of the day, like, when her husband is working every Wednesday or something, and then she sees him and that's how they meet, so then they don't see each other again until the next week. And then, you know, they, they get to know each other and they acknowledge what's happening, and then they don't see each other again for, like, the next week. So it's, like, it's so, it's paced so well, and, like, they're not cheating right away. It's not like they run, you know, into bed or something like that. And you, the whole movie, you're like, are they going to do it or not? Or, like, even, you know, it takes a while for them to even, like, kiss because they're both very conflicted. It's, like, a very true... Like, it's, like, how this would really happen. It's not, you know... I mean, I actually love this movie, but that movie, Unfaithful, that's, like, so dramatic and sexy and, like, over the top. Like, I, I like it. That's a good movie. But this is just feels more real. And even though it was made in the 40s and, you know, people looked different then. They talked different then. There were, you know not different rules, but, like, you know, the world worked a little differently back then, and especially in 1945, like, you know, this, like, World War II era and everything, it's, like, these people are just caught in this moment where they are so captured by each other that they just don't know what to do, and they've never felt anything like it. Like, yes, they both have spouses, but, you know, back then, it's, like, 
you get married, people didn't even, didn't have to be in love, you know, you get married if you're a woman because you need to, <laughs> basically, it was, you know what I mean? And it's like a lot of people do this still as they get married, but then they meet someone else and they're like, oh my God, wait, this is what love is. Like, this is what all the movies are about. This is what all the songs are about. And, but I've made this commitment to this other person and I can't just do this. So they're so conflicted and it's like, oh, it's painful and beautiful and, um, this, the, this actress is so good, um, Celia Johnson, she, there's this famous scene that's, like, the iconic scene where her husband's, like, talking to her, and he's a perfectly normal, good guy, it's, they don't, like, victimize, I don't, like, they don't remember anything, they don't, like, villainize this other spouses or anything, they're just people, and, um, she's, like, staring into space, and she's just, like, thinking about, like, how much she, like, is obsessed with this other guy, and she's just, like, um, she says, I've fallen in love. I didn't know that violent things, I didn't know that such violent things could happen to ordinary people, but it's like her thoughts. It's like a voiceover of what she's thinking. And she just makes the most perfect face in this scene. It's very, very jarring and arresting. And it's a very tight 90 minute film. It feels very short. It goes by so quickly. And, you know, what can I say? It's an iconic movie and you should watch it. You know how I love films that glorify cheating. <laughs> now we're on to um, our other uh, cheating-centric film. <laughs> Meg. No, mm. does that have cheating? I don't know. Yeah, kind of. Not, I mean, it, yeah. Like, all of it is cheating? Well, Because I mean, his wife is just out. Is that a spoiler? No, but the cheating is that, um, you know, Hurst had, Hurst and Marion Davies had a, like, 30-year relationship, and he was married the whole time. So, yeah, I actually, Marion Davies is so interesting to me. So, so, um, she met Hearst in 1917. She was performing on stage in the Ziegfeld Follies. What an icon. And he saw her, uh, he was like, in, I think he was like 32 or 33 and she was like 16 or 17. Obviously gross, but again, in this era, like, that was, I don't want to say normal, but it, nobody was like, oh my God, what are you doing? That's inappropriate. It's like there were a lot of older men with younger women, but whatever. So, um, they had an affair and a couple, at first it started out as like a genuine, just like an affair, but his wife knew, like he, he, she cheated on Marion too. Like he had a lot of women in his life, um, and didn't really consider marriage to be a reason why he would stop doing that. And, but Marion was apparently like the real love of his life and, you know, they openly were together, even though he was married, and then I think it was, like, maybe 19, maybe, like, two years later or three years later that, uh, Marion, or his wife was like, you know what, <laughs> I'm done with this, and she got her own place, and she lived independently, and she had actually a really good life, and she just, like, didn't live with him, but she would never grant him a divorce. I don't know why, I mean, probably has something to do with the money, um, but, so they just lived apart for the next, like, almost 30 years, and he was with Marion, and, um, she had her own life, but there is a woman, I'm forgetting her name, she died, uh, in the 90s, she was known as Marion's niece, or, like, something like that, but people say that Marion and Hurst had this baby in secret because she was always like, they were, they were all around the globe. Like they had a place in Europe. They were in New York. They were in Hollywood. They were all over the place. So like, 
apparently she spent a period of time kind of like hidden and she had this baby and then when the baby like showed up everybody was like oh she was like oh that's my niece like that's my sister's baby and so the this the baby lived with her sister because even though they were openly having an affair like she couldn't openly have a baby with like the man that like is an adulterer you know what i mean so they hid her identity all these years and she's actually the daughter of um marion davies and uh hearst and apparently on her deathbed she said like make sure everybody knows like who my real parents are wow yeah because it was rumored forever it was rumored from like 1920 to like 1990 or something and she was like before i die i want people to know this so yeah there's still no official that's just like um i think it was her her child i can't remember who's a daughter or a son that reported this um so people basically trust what this person said but there's no official like paperwork or anything like that so some people still consider it to be rumored but I mean, that, that's enough for me that, that, you know, her child was like, hey, I want everyone to know this because my mom couldn't die without the world knowing this. So just some insight into the movie that might make you enjoy it a little more. Yeah, I do not know a lot of the old Hollywood stuff. So this was all very informative to me. Also, I think I really enjoyed the political stuff, too, in the film, obviously. <laughs> oh, totally. Him making that bet. Oh, my God. That whole scene was really good. Just the uh, the party, you know. I I like. I just love that whole like the whole vibe in that scene and the set design and. That was probably the best scene in the whole film. Uh, to me. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. Well, I would not say... like the best scene scene, but like the most scenic. My favorite thing. Well, I also really like the scene where Mank and Marion go on that walk, and you know. They talk about so many different things, and they're walking pretty far, and then there's, like, elephants. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. But, yeah, I just, oh, my God, all the stuff, just seeing the MGM lot back in the day, oh, my God, it's just so cool. Like, I love all that stuff. I am just so fascinated by old Hollywood. I just can't get enough of it. So all of that I love. But overall, would you say that there was, like, something missing from this movie? 100%. Like... I don't know if it was missing, like, teeth or, like, he had to end it how it actually ended. Mm -hmm. And that does kind of leave a lot up to, like, your imagination, kind of. Like, it does kind of leave it open-ended mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, uh, given both of their timely demises. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but, like, I think it is meant to be talked about. Like, there is definitely a clear point that the reason why he made this film is because of the socialism stuff and, like, a lot of the working class stuff. Mm -hmm. And, like, it is a film about the politics of Hollywood mm -hmm. and how he got to the point where Hollywood is very liberal, liberal right now and how he got to the point that we're in right now in America, yeah. which is, like, the fight back against Hollywood, basically, which is what the conservative movements kind of are. And, like, there's some, like, heroes of Hollywood past who decided to be conservative heroes, like Ronald Reagan, like Clint Eastwood. Like, there are very clear Hollywood icons who are, like, the, yeah, the conservative <laughs> icons. Um, but then the rest of Hollywood is basically seen as liberal because they care about working-class rights because it is a blue-collar industry. Like, most people are craftspeople. Most people have to work 12 to 14-hour shifts every day. 
Like, it is a an industry that cares about labor rights and... I've literally yeah. worked a 24-hour shift on a set. So. Yeah. It's it, real. <laughs> it is very intense. I hope you were getting paid the right amount of overtime for that. Obviously, no. Yeah. <laughs> I was not in the union, so no. Yeah, and that's also the interesting thing about this movie, and I think interesting for Netflix to put this out because Netflix has been deteriorating a lot of union policies right. and they've been kind of circumventing the union in a lot of ways so it's very interesting that they would house this movie that's very uh, political about rights of the worker, the working class and like mm -hmm. labor rights um, and it's like everywhere throughout Hollywood like I'm just watching the uh, Comedy Store documentary and they went on strike like at the comedy store because they weren't getting paid. And then David Letterman made a comment, oh, I don't know any comedy club in America where the comics don't get paid. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> you're so lucky, David Letterman, that you get paid everywhere you go. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, course. yeah, that is the ideal, and that is, like, what we fight for is, like, that everybody gets paid for equal work because uh, anybody doing a job should get paid if we live in a capitalist society, you know? Uh, <laughs> lawyers get paid for all the work they do, like, uh, accountants get paid for all the work they do, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so why shouldn't artists also be paid if they're doing tangible work that people are gonna buy eventually? <laughs> this uh, is the story of our lives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, so Gary Oldman is obviously great. He's gonna get an Oscar nomination. Uh, no one can doubt his talent in so many films, but I would have liked to I don't to think he's that great in this film. I would have liked I to see... I don't think he's that great in any film. I think he's oh. very... I think he's very over the top. I'm not a huge Gary Oldman fan. Okay, interesting. This I... was, like, kind of the dagger that I was just, like... If it, if it was, like, somebody else playing Mank, I kind of, like... So would, I, yeah. I definitely think that somebody else should have played him. That's... I, I like Gary Oldman. He's not my favorite, but I, I, I like him from what you just said more than you. But I... This movie, it was... It was lacking something. I mean... First of all, so him and Marion Davies were born the same year. She's actually a little bit older than him. And so it was weird to me that he's, like, this old, like, you know, has all these problems, you know, is, is suffers from alcoholism, is, like, this, you know, he had success earlier um, in his career, but now he's, you know, on the downswing and he's suffering from all, you know, he's just kind of, you know, whatever. And she's like this young. This is also Brendan O'Brien's issue with the film. Oh. That he Brendan. was telling that was making it hard for him to get through the film. Not to put your words out into the universe without your permission, but he was like, Yeah, have you guys gotten through it yet? And we were like, Yeah, we're just starting it. And he's like, Yeah. And I'm like, What? Is it bad? Like, don't tell Rena, because then Rena's not going to want to watch it with me. <laughs> 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 um, sometimes I wish I lived in your house, but yeah, Brandon, you and I are vibing as usual because, so the fact that she's so, like, sh she's so vibrant and young and he is, seems so much older than her is very, it's just, I mean, not that they have, I mean, not, not everything is going to be factually accurate. Obviously I completely take that into consideration, but I just didn't like that because I, I like the way that they were equals in terms of like they both had those quippy. They're both clever. They're both witty. I mean, I loved so many of his lines. Um, you know, like, 
my god what, what did he say he was like he quoted that line um you know if i had more time i would have written a shorter letter like things like that that are just like damn that is a good line that is so true you know and and she was so um you know snappy and witty and clever and by the way um i heard that marion davies did not talk with a british or not a british brooklyn accent but i loved amanda seyfried in this like i love the way that she played her and i liked her a lot it could have been so easily bad like it was it was right on the line of like if she had gone a little further it would have been horrible but like she did the perfect performance in my opinion i hope she gets best supporting actress because to me she was the best part of the film every time she came on screen um, and she and I look alike, like, people always tell me I look like her, so sometimes I'm like, damn, you know, like, she's getting all my roles, what the heck, like, not, not actual, like, literal jealousy, but, like, you know, I'm just like, oh, is she really that great, can I get some of her roles, and this one, I'm like, girl, you did it, and it was, I, I love her in this movie, I thought she was so good. Uh, yeah, I thought her, her performance was a strong point, and I thought that the guy who played Orson Welles was also really good. And I think added a lot to the film. Yeah, well, like, yeah. It, it's hard to, it's hard to play him, too, because, like, he's such a fascinating figure to me. Like, I will never, like, I will never shy away from a conversation about Orson Welles. Like, if someone was like, I'm gonna lock you in a room uh, with me, and we're gonna talk about Orson Welles for 24 hours straight and do nothing else, I'd be like when you know what I mean like I'm just so fascinated with everything with him like him as an actor him as a director him as a producer his romantic life his life with Rita Hayworth if you ever if you're a romantic and you haven't read his letters that he wrote to Rita Hayworth please read them I read them every Valentine's Day I'm that bitch so like <laughs> I just am, I just am fascinated with him and I agree like I wouldn't say that performance blew me away or anything. I thought he could have been a little, like, in the scene where they're fighting over, like, uh, Mankiewicz getting credit or not. I thought he could have been a little angrier because Orson Welles had that thing about him. He was, like, scary when he was angry, which was, like, all the time. So, <laughs> except when he was writing love letters to Rita Hayworth. So, but yeah. Also, that's a, that's, I think that's a very interesting thing about it because, like, Orson Welles is fucking 24, yeah. You're scared of the fucking 24-year-old? Like, that is also a very, like, very scary thing, is, like, how did they give this man so much power? Like, how did he get this power? Like, that's more what I kind of want to know about this. Like, that's not exactly the point of the film. I feel like the point of the film is, wow, there's a lot of people who have worked in their jobs for a very long time, and now they're getting overshadowed by these young guns who just take over and then leave them in the dust and, like, will take and take and take from them until they're an alcoholic dying on their deathbed, you know? Yeah. And I think that is kind of how a lot of people probably feel since 08 and, like, how a lot of people feel, like, in Trump's America, like, why they're angry at the world right now is because they feel like they're left behind. They feel like these young guys are coming in and taking all the credit for things that they've done forever. Like, I established all of the writing practices of Hollywood and like you guys don't care about that like you get those vibes from Megawitz where he's just like oh I am Hollywood like I write I am this person like you're coming in here and you think you do all this stuff like I do this stuff mm -hmm. and I think there is like a lot of that in like when you're a young person in these industries you have to pay your respects to the people who came before you because like the only reason it's so easy for you to be a young person and, like, catch on to all this stuff quickly is because other people crack the code for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, like, where a lot of generational divides happen is, like, people don't realize the bricks that were laid for them and then they don't lay the bricks for the next generation one way or another. He didn't lie, folks. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't have anything to add. That was just, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm so happy that Mank fought for that credit because he could have just taken the money and run. But, you know, I mean, other people were telling him, like, this is the best thing you've ever written. But I love that he was able to recognize that about himself because I feel like one of the biggest questions I see celebrities get asked in interviews is, like, did you know that that movie was going to be so huge? Especially, like, all these years later, if there's something like, you know, um, Friends or something, they'll be like, you know, Jennifer Aniston, did you know that Friends was going to be so big? And she's like, no, I mean, I thought it was good, you know, but there's a lot of good things that you do, and you think that they're going to be huge, and they're not, or whatever. There's other things you think are not that great, and they end up, you know, being huge, and things like that. And it's just, I hear that all the time. And so for him to literally just be like, this is the best thing I've ever done. I'm not going to do anything better than this. Uh, and I want the credit. I want my name on it. And thank God, because he got to, he got an Oscar, you know, he died very young. He was only 55. And, uh, it's so important because even, even with the credit, you know, I mean, thank God this movie was made, but Wells gets, in, you know, Wells gets all the credit first. I did game. not know that Mankiewicz wrote this film. Like I, I like watched it two or three times and like just glossed over the fact that there was another writer. Well, there were, there's actually a couple, I think there's another, there's at least one other, but maybe there's, um, a fourth writer that's credited for Citizen Kane. So, but I thought that Wells, like, I thought he was more of an influence on the story in terms of, and who knows how much he like edited the script or whatever. I don't know, but it's clear they, this movie makes it clear, like. Mankiewicz wrote this movie and Wells just kind of wanted to buy it and slap his name on it but you know of course you give him credit I mean even if he had just been even if he had just acted in it like who knows what happened behind the scenes who knows if he had someone you know I mean of course all directors have help and you know 80s and the, their whole entire crew and stuff but who knows if he had someone who was like you know taking the reins or whatever I mean he was so young I think that's what people marvelized he was so young and he was able to make that movie but even if he had just solely acted in it I would be like <laughs> blown away so uh, so he deserves a lot of credit, but obviously... Like, whose nephew was he? <laughs> yeah, you know, like... <laughs> like, that's that's what I really want to know. I actually like, that don't know just that. Happen. Yeah, like, that's the thing that astounds me about the whole situation. Like, he definitely knew somebody who was the person he knew, but we're not going to talk about that because we don't know. And that gets lost to history, probably. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Other, other strong scenes, I... I love the scene where um, they first get to MGM and, um, what's his name? The, the president of MGM at the time. Very famous Hollywood person that I'm just blanking on. Anyway, um, he's having that huge fight, and then they, they just, like, don't, it ends, and, like, they don't even comment on it. They just kind of, like, take a beat and then start talking, because it's, like... That, that's what goes on, you know what I mean? It's like no one is surprised that there's, like, some crazy fight going on behind the scenes, especially when he's just about to tell all these people, like, sorry, you're getting a pay cut, and he's acting like he's asking their permission as if if they all said no, he would be like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Great scene. And they even had, I was I was wondering if that little girl um, that they had stand up, I was like, is that supposed to be Shirley Temple? But I don't think the age matches up. I don't know. I think it was supposed to be Shirley Really? Temple. Was yeah. it? Okay. That's what we perceived when we watched it. Um, yeah, wow. Like, so many of these things still ring true today, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there's still so many people we know in production who have gotten skimped out on, on payments, 
because the productions were like, oh, sorry, we're a little behind. Like, we'll figure it out. And then the production just folds in the next, like, four or five weeks. And then they don't get paid. Yeah. And then this is, like, the biggest people. And they're like, oh, yeah, we might go under next week. And it's, like, literally the biggest, like, film production company in the world. You know what I wish they got into more? Like, I wish they had shown him specifically writing some of the iconic scenes or lines and maybe, like, talking about it with someone like his, like, the Lily Collins character or something. You know, there's that, I feel like probably the most famous line besides Rosebud is, um, you know, if I hadn't been rich, I would have been a very, I might have been a very great man. Um, Something like that. Or even, like, I want to hear, I would like to have heard more about, you know, the whole Rosebud thing and how he came up with that and, you know, what his thought process was. Like, I wish there was more of that. Like, and I know I'm obsessed with movies, so maybe people wouldn't want that, and I do, but um, my favorite lines in Citizen Kane are when, again, he's sitting on the bed with Susan, and um, and she goes, I don't know many people, and he goes, I know too many people. I guess we're both lonely. It's just like... <sighs> well, I guess that's the implication, is that, like, all of these classic scenes come from his relationships and then come from his own life, kind of. And it's coming from Mankiewicz's life because Orson Welles couldn't have lived any experiences. He's <laughs> fucking 24 and he's had only success in his life. Right, you would, need, <laughs> you would need to have those experiences to have the depth of that Kane character, you know? And, and honestly, like... I would have liked to see more of Marion talking to him about Hearst. I mean, that's in there, but... You know, I mean, maybe it would have been too on the nose if she, like, talked, spoke about, you know, heavily, like, how lonely he is or something like that. But, um... I feel like that's also the kind of code, like, of writers also. Like, the greatest writers of all time have been, like, led into circles because they, like, don't tell on the people who they're writing about. Like, they write about it enough away from them that like oh yeah i got all these stories from this person and like hang out with this person but like i didn't write bad stories about that person Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's why it's so controversial i think is the fact that he was writing about somebody who he was so close to Mm -hmm. which is also kind of why you think oh was he just trying to bury it so that he didn't get tied to it like that's what i thought the whole film was going to be about is how like it was just trying to cover up the fact that it was hearse and that right. was, like, why he didn't get the credit on it. But, like, no, it was literally just, like, Orson Welles' selfishness. <laughs> there, honestly, there, I think there's still a lot of debate over how accurate, like, how much of Hearst is it really and how much of a character is it really, you know? And people will never know. That's the thing is, like, the further away that you get from it, the more people are dead that were involved. And it's just you know, what people wrote down or quotes that, you know, people say that are in books or something like that, but you'll never really know. And maybe that's part of what makes it so great is that mystique. Yeah. Well, if it outlives you, then that is what you are. Right. Because, like, Shakespeare could have been, like, a terrible person and, like, not a good writer whatsoever, but, like, now we see him as being, like, the greatest writer of all time because he's created so many of these stories and theater and like he could have been plagiarizing it from a bunch of people but like because we look in the history as like William Shakespeare wrote all of these plays that we still watch today mm-hmm. like we think of him as that and that is what history sees him as and there are people who were picked to be like seen in history and then there are people who it's just like yeah they lived a really good life and if you read their journals like they're gonna say that they love their families and stuff like that and they probably had better relationships than William Shakespeare had with his family mm-hmm. you know 
You know, what was funny at the beginning, it reminded me of this year, they're talking about the depression and uh, somebody goes like, oh, you know, when this is all over, like, I say that 500 times a day. I'm like, when this is all over, we have to go to a concert or something. Uh, and then what did you think about the, um, like, the cigarette burns on the, um, the, I thought it was a good way to establish that there were flashbacks, like the script on the typing out on the screen. Did you like it? Uh, I didn't love the scripts, flashbacks. I like the the cigarette burns. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Reminded me of Fight Club. Yeah. Um, there was definitely that aspect to it, but nah, I I hate like I hate stuff that's about writing. Like I hate writing about writing. Yeah. About I wanted to read this because I'm not going to get it right if I just say it because I don't know that much about sound, but um, it says. Um, so instead of using multiple soundtracks dedicated to dialogue, music, and other sound effects, respectively, all of the aforementioned are shared on one single track. So that was similar to what films had before the stereo sound system. So they did it in mono instead of stereo, just so that it would feel more accurate, like the, you know, the old Hollywood films, which I love, I wouldn't have, like, really noticed that unless I read it, which obviously I did, but, um, it was also shot on red monstrochrome 8K cameras, so there's no color version of the film, they didn't color it black and white, um, you know, which that, I love that, because they could have made a bunch of money if they were like, oh, we're re-releasing it in color, or whatever, uh, and, you know, the fade-outs that they did, it really did feel like one of those, 40s movies that has like you know the big like music swell and then the fade out and then the fade back into like a different scene you know the hollywood was definitely better than the film was i think when it comes down to it like i think fincher made a very good hollywood mm -hmm. and this was a very interesting hollywood that we don't get to see very often and i think he even might have made a better hollywood than quentin tarantino made like they were definitely doing different times uh, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but, like, this was almost more interesting for me. I was like, wow, this is, like, really when ho Hollywood was interesting. Like, like Quentin Tarantino knows, like, the video store, like, weirdo Hollywood, kind of, and, like, when people were smoking weed all the time, and, like, it was chill. This is, like, when everybody was, like, underground, and it was, like, a business, and, like, we need to make sure every movie works, and, like, we're gonna put these people through the studio system, and they're gonna love it, and, like, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna put them up on TV with Johnny Carson, <laughs> like, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It was, that's the thing, is it was so interesting to watch, I just felt like it didn't have an, em like, there wasn't, like, an emotional center of the movie that I really yes. could connect to. I don't think there was enough scenes of like, yes, his personality was definitely there, like, you got him, but I just would have liked to see more, like, I would have just liked to be more maybe in love with Mank, or just, you know? Gary Oldman does not elicit sympathy. We know we who he is, and we've else. seen his other roles, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, like, like I said, he was the same age as Marion Davies, so, like, it, you could have put someone younger in there. If he died at 55, like, why not get, like, why not put, like, Mark Ruffalo in there or something? You know what I mean? Like, someone like that who's not, like, young-young, but isn't... It doesn't have that vibe that Gary Oldman does in this movie, which is just, like, you know, I'm at the end. I'm so... Uh, like, I'm failing. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm on a downswing, like, whatever. I don't know. Just... There are so many people that you could have put in that part. Like, you even could have put, like, Leo in that part or something. And, um... 
I mean, I don't know. I just felt like he wasn't the right person, and as a result, like, the movie was still good, but I just could have gotten a lot more out of it with an actor that I guess I felt more closer to or that I just felt just hit the nail on the head a bit better. Like, the thing is, it's a it's a fine, like, it's an okay performance. It's not, like, terrible performance or anything. It's just, it's just, there's a target to hit, and he did not hit in the center, you know? Like, it was yeah. not a bullseye. It pisses me off also, because they're just so, like, it's going to be so, like, weirdly limited, the best actor pool this year. Like, there are not going to be that many slots open, because, like, you know Chadwick Boseman's getting one from Ma Rainey's black bottom or whatever that is uh the netflix film that's coming out Mm -hmm. he's gonna get that posthumously he probably will win the uh oscar this is such a weird year it's like yeah who even knows what's gonna happen yeah but i feel like he's just gonna win the oscar because like he didn't get the oscar while he was alive and like he is one of the greatest actors of all time so like i feel like the academy does have to give it to him and like give him his due since he didn't get it for black panther you know, very likely, <laughs> and like all of that stuff did not come through. Um, but like, I just watched Sound of Metal, which we're not we're going to talk on a future episode. But like, Riz Ahmed is probably going to get Best Actor. So it's like we're we're going to put Gary Oldman in the Best Actor conversation already. But like, everybody is going to put him in the Best Actor conversation because he's Gary Oldman. I mean, I'll be surprised if he doesn't get a nomination. I, I, I there's better people for those slots this year. Steve Yoon and Minari. Another one where it's Did like, you see that? yeah, another one where he's like great in it. <laughs> well, okay. Um, Riz Ahmed, I haven't watched Sound of Metal yet. Obviously, I'm gonna watch it because we're doing an episode, but he was so good in The Night of. Did you watch The Night of? I did not. That's the first time I saw him. Um, it's a mini series, him and John Turturro, and it's like, it's, it's a murder mystery. Um, so good. Just if you, I watched it in like a day. I think it's like, it was like nine hours, and I just watched the whole thing. It was so good. I have a very vivid memory of New Orleans where I got out of some rehearsal in New Orleans and I went to, I want to say The Junction, which is like a burger bar in New Orleans that had really good burgers back when I was eating meat, the devil's flesh. (laughs) Um, And then I walked into this bar and like in New Orleans, if you just fucking walk into a bar on like a Monday or Tuesday night or some shit like that, like they'll just play random shit or maybe it was a Sunday night because that was probably when the night of was on and they literally were just playing it on all the bar TVs <laughs> they were just like yep mm-hmm. this is just what tonight is gonna be we're just watching this mini series we just watched Sunday night HBO in this bar <laughs> I feel like you would like you would really dig that that mini series it was I recommend it I, I really loved his performance in that film I know that's not the film we're talking about today and we're gonna talk about it later mm-hmm. but yeah, I think it just leaves a lot up to, uh, yeah. There's not that many other films. Like, is Tenet, was that good enough? Is Robert Pattinson no. going to get any love for any of the films that he was in this year? Probably I mean, not. I love him, so hopefully. But um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering how I'm thinking of ending things ties into the conversation at all. I don't really know. Like, I could see it getting nominated. I could see it not. I have no idea. Probably a screenplay if it gets anything, but... I can't, I can't see that really getting it. I, just, I feel like it didn't do enough, but maybe not. So, this is just a re- this is related to the movie um, that I read on IMDb, and I just have to read this because I think this is so funny. Okay. David Fincher and Gary Oldman share a connection in that they were both married to Danya Fiorentino. 
Fincher was married to her from 1990 to 1995, and Oldman was married to her from 1997 to 2001. As a result, Fincher's daughter, Fincher's daughter and Oldman's two sons are half-siblings. Both marriages reportedly ended in disaster. It is rumored that their trouble experiences with her became a strong inspiration for directing Gone Girl. Wow. I feel bad for this woman, like, the shade in this. Like, they're obviously implying that she's the problem if they both, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know. We uh, Just shout out to Danya. You're probably awesome. And these two are like, you know. God, I hate director press. It always just makes me hate them. You always just find out they're terrible people. Like, it's always just people who are, like, literally just working all the time. So then they just all cheat on their wives because they have no time to actually see their wives and their kids. Yeah, like, what a crazy <laughs> dynamic that must be. Like, I guess maybe because they both ended in disaster, they, they have some camaraderie and not so much, like, jealousy or whatever. I don't know. But uh, I know that Oldman got a little frustrated with Fincher, as all of his actors do, because of the massive amount of takes that he likes to do so they did over 100 takes on several scenes and Oldham was like come on and then uh Amanda actually said that there was one scene that they did 200 times and that it was one of the scenes where she didn't even really have lines and it was just like her reacting basically and she had to do it 200 times wow <laughs> digital it's a very different world that that feels like it's a conscious choice for him to be like i live in the digital world you guys couldn't get this many takes but now i can get this many takes so i'll make a perfect film <laughs> yeah i mean i'm i'm all for doing like a lot of takes that's too much though like i could i mean like 20 takes 30 takes like even once even if you're getting up to like 50 i still am understanding but like 100 200 is like that's mind-boggling to me like i don't understand that and i've been on set with martin scorsese so like like, he's another person that, you know, you're not allowed to have, definitely not cell phones, but you're not allowed to have a watch. Like, you're, we're making art, and that's it, and we're going to stay here until it's over. Like, that was the set I was on for 24 hours. And it, so it's like, I totally get that, but 200? What what new thing are you discovering on take one? That feels like you made a casting mistake. <laughs> right, but yeah, I mean, it, it feels like that, but he does it with everybody, so... <laughs> I feel like that's what you do when you pick the wrong person, and then you're just like, yep, we haven't gotten it in 50 shots, now it's time for 100. The thing is, it's really, it's, um, it, it gets, I feel like it gets, when you do something that much, it gets stale. Like, it's different when you're doing uh, theater, and you, and you do it every night, because there's, like, a respite. You have, like, 24 hours in between the last time you did it, so then it can be fresh again the next day, depending on what your day was like, or things that you've been thinking about that day, or maybe you've discovered something new about your character. But if you're doing it 200 times over and over in the same night or day, in instance, that just seems like, I mean, I, look, the guy makes great movies, so who am I to say, you know, this was, to me, one of his weaker ones, but uh, I'm not even, I'm not critiquing him, because damn, you know, I love his movies, but it seems like there are a lot of other amazing directors that can make amazing movies without doing that, so I don't know. <laughs> I think just in general, watching movies now, I'm just like... Better been worthwhile your last film because you're not making another one for a long time. Because like a lot of directors are just not going to be able to do their productions because they need a hundred people on set at all times. And this was a great example of that. <laughs> like Mank looks like it had mad people on set every mm -hmm. single day. It was like a great work of Hollywood, um, and I think it is a good film. I don't know if it's one of the best I've seen this year, but it's definitely high quality and done well by an auteur mm -hmm. and like one of the great directors in america 
I think I definitely need to watch some more stuff this year before I like dub it one of the best of the year. Uh, I think a lot of people preemptively did that, and that's also like Netflix's marketing department. Like they want it to have tons of right. buzz so that like it never loses steam and like wins the Oscar. But it doesn't really seem like it should be the year for this, but maybe. I think, like, the socialistic <laughs> tendencies of the film and, like, talking about that stuff in, like, a year that Bernie Sanders was basically forced out and now we're into another corporate, like, Democratic president. Does anybody else love how Jordan always finds a way to bring it back to Bernie Sanders? I'm just saying, a lot I of the reason it. why our country's effed is just because people tried to stop him. And, like, it's not going to be, like, Bernie Sanders in the future as our leader. They're just, like... We need to wait until 2022 to, like, find out who's going to run or 2023 to find out who's going to run and be the person who, like, takes the torch. Or maybe there would be smart politicians and multiple people would try to run on Bernie Sanders' principles, you know, as opposed to everybody ganging up on those principles and saying we should not have health care for all, mm-hmm. like, civilized countries and we should not have 22, 50 and out, like an hour as our minimum wage, which is, like, what it should be if it went up with inflation over the years. I truly, like, I'm not even going to respond because I'll get into a whole thing. Like, I just truly don't understand what the fucking problem is that every other country in the world has this, and it's so embarrassing. But anyway, that was our review of Mank. Do you have any other final thoughts? Nope. Um, go see it, because what the fuck else are you doing? Um, I mean, watch it in your house. Don't go see it. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you guys should not go to the theaters whatsoever. Like, let no. those theaters die. New ones will come up. No, I don't, <laughs> no, I don't want theaters to die. It's just that the thing is, I haven't been to the movies since March. Actually, I mean, I used to go to the movies so often that it was literally, like, two days before the pandemic got really bad. That was the last time I went. And I remember my mom and I looking around, and we saw the Ben Affleck movie, um, The Way Back. I actually really I saw liked Invisible that. Man. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one like a few days before that, but um, but yeah, I actually really liked that movie. But um, the way back, I mean, but uh, I, I mean, it's it's I can't believe I haven't been in movies since then. It's so surreal. I've never gone that long without going to the movies, and I wish that I had gone like when they reopened and the numbers up here the numbers were pretty low in like September and I wish I had gone to the movies then because I probably would have been fine because there was no major outbreak or anything that I've heard and I I looked it up because I wanted to feel safe before I went back but unfortunately because everybody is trash it the numbers are now through the roof again so I should have just went when I had my chance but now I'm really not gonna go for a while which is why on Black Friday I splurged on a 65 inch tv because I have yeah. no Hell yeah. fucking idea when I'm going to go again. So We also had to replace our TV. Did I tell oh. you about my TV situation? I heard that it, it broke or something. Yeah, it just like, if you got an Element Roku TV from Black Friday, <laughs> you probably like have realized that it breaks within a year. So we decided to get a Samsung TV. Yeah. Uh, which is good because it has HBO Max, which is now turning into the app that you need to have on your TV. Now that we know Warner is dropping all of their movies for 2021 on HBO Max. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Good decision to get new TVs. I recommend everybody else gets new TVs. Why not? Yeah, I didn't even... I waited for Black Friday. Like, I've wanted a new TV for a while, but I waited so I could save money. And I only saved $50, which 50 is 50. I definitely could use it, trust me, especially because I don't know... I'm going to make, like, no money the next few months. But... 
I, uh, I, I, well, I thought I was going to get a better deal. Like I thought I was going to get like a hundred dollars off or even like more, but I ended up spending more than I thought. And like, I got an LG 65 inch TV, which is like a really good TV. And I spent way too much and I don't have the money, but, um, yeah, so it'll be fun paying that off, but at least I'll be able to, you know, I'll be able to see those fine details on everyone's face. Yeah, and you watch an, a fuck ton of movies, so you should have a big TV. <laughs> I know, that's the thing, is that's why I didn't, even though I was like, I cannot afford this, I was like, I don't, I don't, it's not like I just spend this on anything, like, this is something that I'm gonna do all the time, and hopefully I'll have it for years and years, and like, it's so worth it for me, especially because I just got blue light glasses, so now I don't have to like, you know, close my eyes and just pray that I'm not losing my eyesight. So <laughs> I can go from my phone to my laptop to the to a movie on a huge screen and not worry. So that's great. I highly recommend them, by the way, if you haven't taken that plunge. Also, yeah, especially if you could still steal your parents' cable. Like, oh, 100%. Definitely buy yourself an expensive-ass TV to put all of the apps on there. <laughs> that's why I have Get to watch HBO your parents' Max. cable through there, yeah. Um, well, yeah, that was movie cinema film. Thank you so much for listening. Listen to my other podcast, the Ashley and Jessica cast. It's really good. I started listening you to the did? first three episodes, I think I'm in. Oh, Jordan, thank you. No, it's it's very good pop culture banter. Thank you. See, I enjoy it. Jordan is so good. He's such a supportive friend and person, so you guys should be jealous that he's my friend. You got to <laughs> give everybody's podcast a chance, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely subscribe to that. Subscribe to Movie Cinema Film. Wait, Follow do- us on Instagram at Movie Cinema Film and on Twitter at Movie Cinema Phil. Movie Cinema Film was taken, Wait, I assume. <laughs> did you give a clear enough way for people to find Ashley and Jessicast? Oh, Ashley and Jessicast. Uh, so, you can just type in the Ashley and Jessicast wherever you find your podcast. It's everywhere. And then on Instagram, we're um, at Ashley and Jessicast. Jessica Simpson, by the way, actually looked at our Instagram story the other day. So, Girl, we're going to get her on there. She's, we're going to interview her, which is not official by any means, but I'm just trying to manifest it. She did see our story, so we're we're one step closer. You're going to have to end the show once you get the interview, because it's just going to be like, oh, we've already gotten her to speed. <laughs> now we know no, the story. No, we need to get Ashley. <laughs> now we need to get Ashley. But, uh, but yeah, so, and then on Twitter, we're Ash, at Ashley Jessicast, and you can email us at AshleyJessicast at gmail.com. If you're looking to subscribe to more podcasts besides that, uh, please, please, please subscribe to Young Black Suburban. Yes. Uh, it is done by two former athletes uh, who played at the professional level. One recently uh, won a Canadian football championship, the Grey Cup, uh, Justin Renfro. And then, like I said earlier, Tim Witherspoon Jr. is the other co-host. I'm also producing Get on the Cannabis, which is my weed podcast that I'm currently producing for New Jersey Weed Man. Uh, If you haven't been paying attention to his struggles and his uh, public protests, then listen in to that podcast. And I'll be at his joint, New Jersey Weed Man's joint, across from... Uh, City Hall in Trenton, 322 East State Street at New Jersey Weedman's Joint every first, second, and third Wednesday of the month. So if you're listening to this 
in the week that it comes out. I will be there this Wednesday and next Wednesday. Uh, and then we'll be off for the Christmas time. And then we're back the first, second, and third Wednesday of the month in January. Uh, we've been having some pretty good comics come out there. It's usually the perfect amount of people. And we usually live stream to the Late Night Hump Instagram as long as my phone holds out. And the New Jersey Weed Man's Joint uh, Facebook account. So check out all that stuff. Please subscribe, like, rate, whatever you can do. Please leave comments on this podcast because, like, we've been around way too long for you guys not to have left comments. Can also. you guys please comment? Like, excuse me. Yeah, so leave some uh, good ratings. Uh, peace, love, and happiness.